down in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Everybody had an opportunity to see the debate. This was a very important one. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the prism of America's education. But it isn't just as important to listen to what they were saying. It's also very important to understand the people, who they are, and what motivated them, and why they answer the way they answer. I believe that President Trump answered a lot of questions and his policies were based on logic, economics, understanding of people, and the ability of the American people. And I think that Vice President Biden's answers were based on fear, fear mongering, and hatred. And I think both came out very evident in this debate. I've asked my good friend, Ricky DeSantis, and my other good friend, Sally Baptist, to come on the show today and give us a little synopsis of what they thought of the debate and the people behind the debate. So, Rick, what do you think, how did you think our president fared today? Karen, I want to thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure always to speak to you, and I want to thank you for all you do in fighting for freedom the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and this nation, um, and education. First and foremost, I want to thank you for that. Uh, 18 minutes is really not enough time for us to handle all that has transpired and in getting into the background of the globalist puppet Biden, who has been betraying, has acted as a Benedict Arnold and enriching himself, his family, and his extended family for 47 years in politics in this country. And if we are going to put an end to this and take our country back and truly be we the people shall speak, which I own and that's who I am, we have to put the Republicans in the Congress, Senate, and the executive branch November 3rd. I say this because you will eliminate the blame game. You eliminate two parties fighting against each other, providing cover for one another, and enabling them to say that they're blocking us, we need you to send money, and blah, 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 we see every two, four years, okay? The bottom line is we need to put all the Republicans in only because we have the leader of a man who is a businessman, who is a man I know who I experienced in New York while I was in the, 15 di in the financial district for more than 15 years. I understand him. I'm a lot like him. I would say that he's my mentor. I have a great deal of respect. Let me say this. The whole last debate was rigged. This debate was a total scam. They changed the questions, which let me let it be known. We're supposed to be on foreign policy. They were pro provided to both camps a week ago. Biden disappears 
into his basement. Trump is out there doing rallies after getting out of the hospital after only two days. I believe the man when he says the medications I took or the therapeutic treatments I received is a cure, is provided immunity, as he stated. I believe him. Not somebody hiding in his basement for a week, hiding because the laptop has been legitimized by the FBI, who I don't trust, who are criminals, who have admitted to it because their back's against the wall. They've had it since December 2019, uh, like all bureaucracies, left it in a holding room where somebody smart enough as Giuliani, and let me say, I've been here before, so I've touched it, lived it, I know how he maneuvered and obtained it and released it. And we have courageous whistleblowers, Bogolowski, who came out tonight, who was a business partner of the Biden family and Biden extended family, Joe Biden, his brother Frank and James, his son Hunter, and his previous son Bo, who died of brain cancer. With that said, tonight's debate, the Topics, the questions were changed this morning, the issues and questions of foreign policy. The guy's been hiding in his basement for a week, being prepared with Bluetooth ear communications, baby's blood two to three pints a day. It's a common practice of the elite. How do I know this? I've been there. I've touched it. In addition to that, whatever drugs they also threw into him tonight, because he's not the Joe Biden I know for the past four years. Also tonight, if you notice and you go back and replay the tape and you pay attention to what I'm about to say, the moderator, Democrat, Democrat campaign bundler, large donator, attended Christmas parties at the White House with the Obama, Barack Hussein Obama during that costly administration of eight years to this country that brought us to where we are today, you would understand when you go back and look at the tape, as I say, notice that she interrupted the president all throughout the debate. I challenge anybody to find me a spot in the debate where she interrupted Joe Biden. It seemed as though she interrupted just at a spot when good old... Absolutely, to save Joe Biden. It's a a practice. They rehearse it. They press it. They give cues. I know all about this stuff. So she interrupted when he was revealing very important factual information and interrupted when Biden... When he was going off track, she would interrupt him and move him back on track. She also would allow Biden to respond to factual comments, statements made by Trump, but she wouldn't allow Trump to come back and and respond to lies made by Biden. You learned many things tonight, and I was communicating with many of my people in Washington, D.C. tonight. If you rewatch the tape, you'll find Biden deny that he was raised in Delaware. He claimed he was raised in PA. He gave that story in the beginning. In the end, he screwed up because he talked about his mother and him when he was growing up in Delaware and the oil and the fumes. Go look at the tape. At the end, he he, uh, messed himself up by admitting to growing up in Delaware, which our president made very clear. Our president was on point eight years 
as vice president, he did nothing. I shouldn't say nothing. He did with Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton being the bigoted racist they are and that I have known being best friends of Robert KKK Byrd kept people of color all around our nations, whether it was New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Kamala Harris, where they came up for parole and she refused it because they're Democratic campaign bundlers and donators owned the business, the factories, that were utilizing the prisoners as slave factories. That's fact. These are facts. Here we have a fraud who's a bumbling idiot, pushing 80, geriatric dementia idiot. Excuse my French, but you know I'm from New York. I dealt like it is. Unlike my cousin, I'm not seeking political office. I love my country. Karen, you know what I went through with 9-11? I was in both towers with both planes inside carrying people out, some with darker skin than I. I never looked. They were Americans. On 9-11, we hugged each other. That have never been investigated, never been addressed. But with that said, I remember one woman, when she looked up at me, the only thing I remembered was her distraught, her shock her looking up, her helplessness. And I told her, don't worry, I'm here. Remember what Kennedy said about rising waters raise all boats? Yes. Okay? This dirtbag opportunist, Benedict Arnold, seven years has enriched his family and has enriched himself using family, offspring, extended family as front people to put their signatures on things. And I firmly believe Hunter, Hunter Biden in his crack-induced stage was exercising self-sabotage, which is exercised by alcoholics and drug addicts when they become so destitute, so desperate, they're crying out for help. And I think Hunter leaving that laptop, never going back for three months, he wanted it picked up. He wanted it seen. Because if you do the research in psychology and all these things, which I know a lot about being on Wall Street, because you've got to figure out your adversary, where they're coming from in 15 seconds. If you don't, the wolf is at the door and he's going to eat you. Am I right or wrong? You are absolutely right, but hold that thought for a minute and let's give Sally a chance to absolutely put here. Sally, what did you think of the debate? Well, I, I thought Trump did a good job. Uh, towards the end here, he was wanting to get a little bit, you know, respond to some of Biden's comments, and he was kind of getting cut off at that point. But, I mean, Biden lied about so many things. If you want to blame it on the dementia, okay. You know, we, we, in the very beginning, he was more alert, but this is the way dementia is. He was okay, but once either the drugs start wearing off or he gets tired, you can see him losing it little by little down the road. But the point is, um, Trump kept calling, calling him out on things, like the thing about making who built the cages. Who Because the question came up about separating the children from the parents at the, at the border. And, of course, Trump is explaining that these people were being used by the coyotes and these weren't really the, the children's parents and all this other stuff. Of course, they wouldn't go into that as usual. 
And he said, but who built the cages? Who did this first? Who was doing this practice? And, of course, that never got answered. So there was that. Uh, there was the, um, of course, about China and the money and all the stuff that the, the hunter was doing and all this other stuff. I never did. I never got any money from any of them. Yeah, he, he did. I mean, he, he's a blatant liar. I mean, a pathological liar, whatever you want to call it. Why, the, why tell the truth when a lie will do so much better kind of thing. So he was lying about that. And then, of course, the fracking was one of the most obvious. I never said I wouldn't do fracking. I never said, well, he, yeah, he did. It's all over the place out there. I mean, so he, he was caught in a lot of lies. And I thought Trump was doing a pretty good job of calling him out, just like on the cage. Or, yes, you did say you wouldn't you would stop fracking. You didn't believe in fracking. Well, your vice president's not going to do it, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. So I thought overall Trump was doing a good job of it and keeping a little bit, you know, I would say uh, uh, keeping a little bit more cool and calm and collected through the process, not like the very first debate that kind of got out of control, which was mostly because of the way Chris Wallace was doing it too. So, and of course the game's always rigged. I mean, what the questions they say are going to be, they didn't get into the foreign um, policy stuff like they should have and things like that. But I, I really thought that Trump zoomed in on some of the most blatant lies, um, you know, the thing with the um, – uh, helping the blacks and all that kind of stuff. Why didn't you do this? And what about the, what the bill you had back in 1994, I think it was? And, you know, so he calls them out on it. And, and Biden really can't explain it. Half the time, I'm not sure he even remembers it, but he can't explain it. And I also thought it was good when um, Trump said, there is nobody who's less of a racist, or um, that's not the exact quote, in this room. Uh, I am the least racist person in this room or something to that effect. Um, that was good and, and things like that. So overall, I thought he did pretty good. Yeah, they, they you know, they always play games with, with him. That We all, all know that, you know, they're going to play the games. They're going to try to help out Biden as much as they could and that kind of thing. That's always the way it is. But I thought he really called out some good stuff. And what was this one of the oh, – and he, he did talk about the money several times. And the question came up a little bit about Hunter, but – uh, you know, all Biden has to say, nope, I didn't do anything like that, I didn't do anything wrong. But, I mean, overall, I thought uh, I, I thought Trump won this one. We'll see what they try to rate it as. Oh, the other one was the interesting thing about the uh, climate change and the windmills and stuff. Uh, apparently, Biden doesn't understand windmills have to have other fuel as well. <laughs> they, they consume others. And they kill a lot of birds. People yeah. don't seem to understand how many birds they kill. So I thought, he, you know, he called out some stuff. He made some very valid points knowing that he, to demonstrate that he took the time, Trump did, took the time to learn some of these things and understood it. I'm trying to think on, on the virus, they played all sorts of games with that one, and there's so much more on that virus one, but I, I won't go there right now. <laughs> but I, I thought Trump did good. I thought he did good also, and I was very pleased with his explanations. Um, he didn't go off tangent. He really explained things, and I think that people that... Uh, may not have been cognizant of all the things that he has done, were able to understand what he was talking about, and he explained things in a manner that I thought was really good. We only have a couple of minutes left. Yes, let me go. I, I agree with Sally on everything that she has said. I agree with her totally. I think Trump failed when Biden spoke about the climate control and all these things in the Paris Accord, he should have brought out when Biden said, well, I'm going to make China agree to what they agreed to in the Paris Court. Well, let me educate you. China and Russia have no 
restrictions whatsoever with regards to carbon output, and they can continue to pollute our air, our land, our waters. You need to know the background of Biden. She spoke to these things. Let me be very clear. President Trump received the NAACP award for man of the year several times with the drug dealing Al Sharpton, FBI operative, pushing drugs into the streets to our beautiful children of minority in Harlem, and Jesse, the adulterer Jackson, I have actually laid in one of the beds of Martin Luther King where they used to hide him in the safe houses in Birmingham. Karen, you know about the person I lost, and you know who I am, and I can speak to these things such as this. Stay right where you are. We will be right back. This is Karen Schoen with the Prism of America's Education. My fellow Americans, our mission here at AmericaOutloud.com is clear. We're here to defend our founding values and principles at a moment when they are under unprecedented assault. And to cover the news objectively and offer intelligent commentary on the challenges we face as a nation. You can tune in and join our family of listeners 24-7 on this vital crusade. Our apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Find us on iHeartRadio or our world-class media player. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Did you know that the millennials are falling further behind other generations in money-making and that the income back gap is getting wider and wider? You're listening to Karen Schoen, and this is the prism of America's education. This is a big problem in our education, if that is happening, and it is. What happens is when you see an article like this or you see a video like this, they discuss the actual problem without ever discussing the cause. And I believe that when kids are taught to rent, not to own, when they are enter the marketplace and they don't have skills of reading, writing, and math, and when they are encouraged to get meaningless degrees and they are taught to be victims and activists, this is the result. If we want our kids to be brilliant and succeed, we have to give them the tools that are available, and that's what school is all about. I'm very happy to have with me today Sandra Lee, and Sandra, like myself, was a teacher, and that's what we're going to discuss, the lack of skill set that our children are learning and what it leads to, and unfortunately, what it leads to is a huge income gap. Welcome, Sandra. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure, and um I see myself as a teacher always. You know, I'm a born teacher. I loved teaching. It was a full career. I worked in a public school in a very fine district, a couple of fine districts on Long Island in New York. 
and I taught school in Ohio for a little bit when I came back to Ohio. I had a very full teaching career. I had my own acting school for children where I worked with little children. So I've worked with children, preschool, nursery school, K through 12, college age, and adult students. I am a teacher. It's just my love. And even when I'm writing my books, the Dear Donald books are my first two published books, I'm teaching. That teacher is born in you. And I look back at my teaching career with such pride and such joy. And today I am so terrified about what is happening in the schools. It, I... it is terrifying. I have grandchildren. And they're young, you know, they're young. And I'm just thinking, what are these kids? And my son is so disenchanted with the schools in New York. He's pulled both of his children out. Well, COVID, of course, has pulled everybody out anyway. Uh, Do you think that COVID was kind of a, uh, to me, it was a blessing in disguise, and I couldn't agree with you more. Once you're a teacher, you never stop being a teacher. I always remember what my first husband used to tell me, Karen, you don't have to talk to me in your teacher voice. I know, I know. (laughs) It's something you can't help. A a teacher just has the desire to have people understand what they're saying and apply, be able to apply what they have learned. And it's so sad to see right now what the kids are learning. What do you think about what I said? Do you think that what they're learning in school is reflected in this article, that they are falling behind in, uh, in a generational income gap? Do you see that happening as well? Yes, and I think you make a very good point when you say that the gift of this pandemic, oh, and there are many gifts and many, uh, many sad things about it, and many, many tragic aspects to it. But there have been very many gifts as well. And one of them is that our eyes have been opened to what has been going on in the schools across our country. And that is an awakening that I think is earth-shattering and life-saving. I think we're starting to see that we've pedestalized our school system And there are a lot of things about the school system that need repair, that need changing, that need some light brought to them so parents know what's going on. And having these visual devices in our homes, you know, the little ones, the teenagers, they're all on their iPads, they're on their computers watching the lesson. And mom is maybe in the kitchen preparing lunch and dad's overlooking while he's working on his work at the kitchen counter. I mean, I had my kids visit not long ago, and both of their sons were on their devices trying to study whatever they needed to study. And so I was privy to what was going on in the classroom, and Dad was, and Mom was, and we're all like, what on earth is going on here? And a lot of parents are starting to see things that are being taught that they don't want being taught, methods that they don't approve of, attitudes that are dispiriting. So we're starting to see things that we can criticize in the school system, and we're also starting to see how we have turned that responsibility of teaching children and supervising their learning 
almost totally to the school system because mom is working and dad is working. And while that's been exciting for women to grow in that manner, usually they were more at home watching over the children a little more closely. It's been wonderful that women have been liberated, but in many ways, I think it's been harmful because they're overworked, they're overtired. Dad is now picking up some of the responsibility of working with the children, and they're not paying a lot of attention to what's going on in school. Has it not been the desire of the, quote, elite professors to destroy and break down the family and to have everyone agree and believe that the school should take over the role of raising the child? And nothing was more evident than of that when Hillary even said it and it takes a village. No, it does not take a village. It takes... Well, I read her. Oh, you did? Oh. I did. A long, long time ago, I read It Takes a Village. And I was a younger teacher, of course, at that point. And I'm a reader. I, you, boy, you give me a book and I go through it. And I'm reading a book a minute. And I read her book. I read Obama's book. I read, I mean, I read. And when I read her book, It Takes a Village, I thought it was charming and warm and caring and thoughtful. I mean, it was a lovely book. The problem with it was we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know. I mean, this sentiment was fairly optimistic. You know, we all needed to be more involved in, in raising the children and reaching out to the children, and everybody's input was important. But what we didn't, what that book didn't point out, and what it didn't even know when she was writing the book, is that when the village gets involved, you're dealing with the thought processes, the religions, the philosophies, the disagreements, the points of view of so many different parts of our culture. And the school's starting to take on a larger role while mom and dad are both working. Next thing you know, mom's not raising the children, dad's not raising the children. The school and all those different voices are raising the children. And there are so many things going on in a school day that have nothing to do with learning. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that because that was one of the things that I was going to ask you. I noticed that when I was teaching, we actually had uh, classes to educate. We had time set aside. Now, folks, I am talking about in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But there were so many social programs that have been brought into the schools that it is almost impossible to be able to get an actual time for learning. And then through these social programs, our students are learning values. But whose values are they? They may not exactly. be the family's whose values. Whose values are they? And, you know, I heard something interesting today. Of course, I'm always watching my weight. So I have to interject this. I come from a family, a Lebanese family. They're wonderful cooks in there, and they, they're just fabulous at it. And everyone in the family is overweight. So for all of my life, I have really addressed this issue of watching my weight, and I'm successful at it, but I work so hard at it. And one of the things that I experienced as a school teacher was the obscene amount of food 
that is being pushed on these children in our schools. You know, I'm sure there are many, many schools where children are hungry. And, of course, we, we address that. We don't want young children to grow up with proper, without proper nutrition. But in the affluent schools, the PTAs, the parents, all the outside groups, the teachers, everybody is bringing food into the school and into the classroom. And along with all the other things that are going wrong in the school system, these kids are being fed sugar from morning until the time they walk out of school. And they're and people, being fed sugar in their after-school gatherings. And it's completely out of control. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And then what happens is, think about this, folks. You're eating all day, and then you're forced to sit in your chair for almost six hours without any exercise. What do you Absolutely, think? Absolutely, because the whole gymnastics program has been greatly compromised in so many schools. There's not enough physical fitness for the children. There no, needs to be more. And they're, never, they're not really taught the proper things to eat. Then when they get their sugar high and act out, they are sent to the nurse for evaluation, and in often too many cases, they wind up on drugs like Ritalin and will fall like zombies because they act out. I couldn't agree with you more. And and, uh, my colleagues, I was in one school where we had team teaching. Team teaching is a very effective way to teach. I like that that model. And we would meet, the teachers would meet, the four of us or five of us every day and talk about the kids and their lessons. And one of the great disturbing things that we were all experiencing and we didn't know how to stop it was the fact that so many of our students were being given these drugs, Ritalin, etc. And we realized that the little boys were getting it more than the little girls. And the boys, you know, are more physical. They're more active. They're a little more rambunctious. So this was a way of controlling children. It was also a way of Big Pharma getting rich. And Big Pharma, you cannot leave them out of the conversation because I'm terrified of what they're doing, not only in the schools, but even with this COVID thing. I don't know who to trust and who not to trust. I don't know how they're helping and how they're hurting. You know, the big pharma thing is a little bit scary to me. Oh, I, I, I agree. I think it's a lot scary. I, the mag, amounts of drugs that our kids are taking, and mostly I found when I was teaching that when a kid acted out, I sat down and talked to them and found out why. And in many cases, they were bored. And that was okay, because then I yeah. was able to find out what excited them and feed them information on that. So reading a book about putting a car together was more exciting than reading a book to them about uh, romance. Um, they were so excited to learn about the things that they wanted to learn about. And I always believed that when you work with a child, when you work with anyone, if you give them information in a subject that they are interested in, 
they will excel more than you can imagine because it's something of interest. And that's what we were lacking in this one-size-shoe-fits-all education. It's not only the um, children who are receiving these drugs. The entire culture, the parents, the teachers, the educators. If you turn on the television, of course I have radio and television on all the time because I'm constantly doing these interviews. So I need to know what is being shared on news outlets across the board. And the computer also gives me some of that information. And when you take a look at all the advertisements that are on television, it's staggering how many of them are from the pharmaceutical companies. Many, many different kinds of drugs. Now, it used to be, oh, cigarettes. Well, we stopped advertising cigarettes and alcohol. Well, we stopped advertising alcohol. But guess what we put in its place? Drugs, 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 drugs. And then this little bit of, a, of, of an end note about the side effects, which can kill you, make you crazy, send you to a hospital, cause death. But it's all in such fine print or it's said so quickly you can't even ascertain what they're talking about. So it's not just our kids that are being drugged. It's the parents and the teachers and the cultures and the principal and the superintendent and the whole culture is selling out to the quick fix idea of drugs. You know, if you can just quiet the kids down, they'll learn better. You know something, Andre? Yeah, you made a very, very interesting point. Not just the kids that are taking these drugs. When you are younger and you get used to relying on drugs to make you feel whatever it is that you want to feel, as you get older, that doesn't go away because these are what we know as addictions. And people inherently get addicted to something, and it doesn't really matter what it is. They have to be absorbed in something because they feel that that's what gives their life meaning. And if we take away meaning from their life and we are teaching them that they are just victims and they have no meaning to their life, then they have to replace that meaning with something. And if they were taught in school that drugs are the answer, well, guess what? They grow up thinking drugs are the answer. It doesn't change. And it's starting from kindergarten. I mean, they're giving these little children um, pills to calm them down, pep them up. I mean, it's just frightening. And then, of course, you go to college and you want to stay up late to study for an exam, so you're taking pills to stay awake and pills to go asleep, and then you want pills to lose weight. God forbid you should just weigh and measure some healthy food. You know, we're not taught to be self-reliant. We're taught to find a quick fix in a little pill, and the whole culture has become very unhealthy because of it. And that bleeds into everything. Look at what... You know, the the communists feel, let's drug up America, and then we can do whatever we want because people will be paying more attention to their drugs than they will be to what we are actually doing to them. And this is what we are facing right now. They have us diverted into so many meaningless things that when it comes to things that are important, we don't pay attention. And our children are living proof today of how we have destroyed this generation. 
and it's going to continue unless we pay attention to what is going on in our schools. It's, I would say it's very dangerous. I would say that it is one of the most dangerous things. People ha need to understand that when you decide to raise a child, it is a responsibility. And it is your responsibility. It's not somebody else's responsibility. And because of that responsibility, you have to pay attention. And you have to be an adult. You have to be the adult in the room. You can't be the uh, friend of your child. You are the responsible individual. So hold on to that thought of responsibility, and we will pick that up when we come right back. Don't go anywhere. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? Well, the good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. Did you know that slavery does not exist only in the history books? That several million people today are victims of modern-day forms of slavery, and most of it we go and call it human trafficking. And many of these victims are children. Welcome back. You're listening to Karen Schoen with the Prism of America's Education. Uh, in the last segment, we were talking to Sandra Lee, who was a teacher, who explained her side of being forced to teach and not liking what you're teaching, what, which is what the problem that I had as well. I actually stopped teaching when I went into the book room and couldn't find any of the older books, and all I could find was the new books, and they were filled with such garbage. The kids, I felt, weren't learning anything, and therefore I wasn't adding anything to their lives. And that was when I uh, decided that it was time to move on out of the teaching profession. But right now, the pornography that I have seen in our schools as I am reviewing textbooks and civics books is just horrific. So I have invited Dominique Clemens to come back, and she will talk about this from the other side, from being a student, and what this pornography, I believe, sets up our students to accept human trafficking and accept being a sex slave. And where are they learning it? They're learning it in school. So, Dominique, thank you so much for joining me today. And I know that you have done extensive work on pornography in our schools. So can you please share that information with everyone? 
Well, thank you so much, Karen, for having me on again today. This is such an important topic that we address. Um, a lot of people don't believe me when I say that there's pornography in the classroom. Um, it's very hard for people to believe, especially when so many parents are sending their kids into public schools unknowingly that this is going on. Right now, there has been kind of this new sex education that's being implemented in schools. And so when a lot of parents think about sex education, they think, you know, it's a biology class, you separate boys and girls, and you're talking about, you know, just a, the normal way that we all mature. That's not what we're talking about. There is now a new sex ed curriculum. It's called Comprehensive Sex Ed or CSE for short. This comprehensive material is starting to spread across the United States. The World Health Organization and UNESCO drafted this curriculum for sex ed to be used around the world. One of uh, the organizations that helped back this, this curriculum was Planned Parenthood. Now this curriculum is in 29 states and it's still spreading. Um, actually, so over COVID, they signed it into Washington State. It's in California. And so Washington State and California have both made it so that it is mandatory that all schools adopt this curriculum. The other 27 states leave it up to uh, local governments to adopt that into, into their curriculum. But this is so important that parents pay attention because they're starting to teach masturbation at four years old. They're starting to plant these seeds about sexuality, about consent, vocabulary words, under the guise of sex ed. And because it's comprehensive, it's actually going to be in every single subject. So it's no longer a biology class that you can opt your child out of. It's going to be everywhere. And we can go into a little bit of detail on, on what this kind of curriculum is, but you're right. It is making these kids soft targets for online predators especially when child sex trafficking is such a huge issue and the average age of child sex trafficking is 11 years old and that's when they're really trying to push a lot of this sex education. Well, I'm sure that everybody has seen the article today about what Jeffrey Tubin did, and I want you all to imagine what he did in case you didn't know about it. Jeffrey Tubin was the anchor, one of the anchors on CNN. He was having a Zoom call and didn't realize people were in the Zoom room, turned the camera down, and started masturbating. Now, why on earth would anybody masturbate in a Zoom call is beyond my comprehension. That means you're masturbating at work, because that's what he was doing. This was a work object. And imagine your kids being taught to do this, as Dominique just said, as young as four years old. What they are learning is that it's okay to do this, to touch yourself in public, and nobody should be the wiser, nobody should pay attention. More important, it's also okay to have sex with an older individual because it's the, quote, normal thing to do. Dominique, you are so right. This is popping up not just in 
literature or in a biology class, I know that when I taught biology and hygiene, we taught sex, man and woman. We spoke about sex in a biological point of view. What's happening now is teaching sex without emotion. So there's no connection between the two people except the object of having sex. And to learn this in school, my goodness, this is just, I cannot imagine it, Dominique. But I know Uh that your investigations, and I've seen your work, and it is absolutely 100% true. Parents must get involved. So what are some of the things that they are telling our kids? So... One of, there's, I found a quote from the curriculum. Any parents who really want, want to do a deep dive on a lot of this stuff, I strongly recommend seeking out some of the research from Yako Buyens. It's J-A-C-O-B-O-O-Y-E-N-S. And he has been working um, in America on fighting child sex trafficking for about 20 years. His younger sister was trafficked in South Africa, where he's from, and he really does a deep dive. He was, he was quoting the curriculum, and it says, this comprehensive sex education, almost everyone has sexual fantasies. We may have them while we are masturbating and at other times too. And so, you know, you have to think, what is this doing? This is promoting really young kids from the age of four to start masturbating, and not just on themselves, but on their friends. They think it's important to experiment with the other sex, the same sex, And then that leads, when they talk about these sexual fantasies, that leads to these children doing maybe a Google search or whatever and stumbling upon pornography on the Internet. And then what does that lead into? Pornography leads into sex trafficking, which then heavily leads into abortion. So that's where it gets really scary because Planned Parenthood is one of the major organizations backing up this comprehensive sex ed And of course, they're marketing it as um, a safe and healthy and normal thing for children to be learning, but in fact, it's promoting sexual promiscuity and really harming these children. So in, in California, so they have this comprehensive sex education going on right now. What's been reported is something called the condom relay races. And the condom relay races, what happens is the teacher is told to use a male erect penis model, put it at the front of the classroom, and you have boys and girls mixed together because we can't assume gender anymore. They have to do a relay race. This curriculum is telling the teachers to make it into a fun game. If the student, and this is at fifth grade, by the way, this is fifth grade. So if the student doesn't do uh, put the condom on the model correctly, they have to do it again. And then they can go and high five the next student who then does the same thing. Well, this is child abuse. can't imagine being a fifth grade girl told to do something like this. And especially imagine those young students who are being abused, maybe in the home, and then they go to school and now they're told that this is normal, that this is something that they should be exploring. That is so dangerous and perverted. You know, it's really, really hard to wrap your mind around that there are experts pushing this so furiously into each classroom. And in addition to that, look at the bill that Governor Newsom just signed, making it okay 
for an older person to have sex with a minor as long as the minor gives permission. How does a minor give permission when they don't even know what's happening? They don't know what's going on. And all they're doing is being guided into becoming a sex object. That is filtering through, as you said. I remember in 2012, Obama sent out through Arne Duncan, and he was the the head of uh, education department. Mm -hmm. And the media centers in the school were going to be judged on how many books kids read. So what they did was they removed the classics and removed those, quote, boring books and filled the libraries, the media centers, with pop culture. And those sexual uh, expletives and those sexual uh, books gave the kids the idea that sex was all right. Now put that together with what is going on in the schools and these programs, and you have a full rounded program of the kids saying, well, it's in school and it's in the books and it's in what I'm reading, so it must be okay. And this is, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Dominique, this is where the abuse is coming in because mm-hmm. who does a child turn to to say I'm being sexually abused if the teacher is telling them it's okay to be sexually abused? You know, it's happening on all levels in California. So when they passed the CSE, the Comprehensive Sex Ed, it was passed under the California Healthy Youth Act. The woman who sponsored and passed this act was then awarded the Healthy Teen Network Spirit of Service Award. Of course, they use these words like healthy. The Healthy Teen Network during coronavirus, so this is a website where they give students, different education resources, and it's kind of a place that teachers can use to guide them. When you look on Healthy Teen Network, one of the pages on there that we stumbled upon is five tips for your sexual health during COVID-19. This was really, really surprising because this is at the high school level for teenagers and this website, which is strongly connected with the California Teachers Union and the same players who, you know, worked to get this CSE into the schools. So on this website where it says the five tips for sexual health during COVID-19, it teaches students how to masturbate. One page is 54 sexting ideas you wouldn't have thought of. Sexting feels fun, but a lot of adults tell me that I'm bad or risky if I do. And they go through and they tell you to date yourself, to watch porn. They talk about solo sex. They say to go online. And they give you all these different resources. So, and, and this is at a, the teenage level. And then we come down to K through uh, K through 12 or K through 5, honestly, and we have books like It's Perfectly Normal. This book is highly regarded as one of the, quote, best sex ed books out there. It's extremely graphic. It's, there's over a million copies sold in the U.S., and it's for 10-year-olds and up. And this book is full of cartoon porn. It teaches children how to masturbate. It teaches children, you know, more than 10 reasons why abortion is okay. It talks about pleasure. It talks about pain. It, it even addresses the question, is, a, is masturbation a sin? And it says, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly normal. And so this kind of book, it doesn't talk about family. It doesn't talk about love. 
a lasting marriage, none of that. It is purely just about the pleasure aspect of that. And it's really frightening to see that that we're pushing so many young children through this kind of indoctrination. And what is this going to do to them? If I were a young girl going through this, you know, the condom relay races or learning about these things at such a young age, talking about consent around 11 years old, I don't think I would want to have a family. I don't think I would want to get married. I don't think I would really want to pursue that kind of just have a family, really. It's breaking down those kind of familial bonds because a lot of this really is child abuse and opening the door wide open for pedophiles, which by the way, they're trying to teach, especially in California, that a pedophile is just another sexual orientation. So it becomes pretty clear what's going on in the school systems. Why why are they promoting this kind of sexual behavior? Yes, and I am reminded of a website, and everyone should be writing this down. It's called NAMBLA, and it is the North American Man-Boy Love. And it talks about how it's okay for an older man to be involved with a teenage boy because that's okay now. And this is also, this is the promotion of the perversion of sex. And, Dominique, you hit the nail on the head when you said that this had to do with breaking up the family. Their prime goal is to break up the family. And what better way to break up the family than to eliminate a loving relationship between a man and a woman, Uh, the most highly regarded family relationship, promoting family values. Their goal is to make sure that there are no relationships, that people are basically alone so that they can shovel them into the group think that they want them to group into, And the next step, as you said, is being promoted by Planned Parenthood. Well, what's their motivation? Their motivation would be abortion. Why abortion? Because body parts are extremely a lucrative business, and the sale of body parts are extremely lucrative. And that is where um, I would say that Planned Parenthood sits as they're promoting this throughout our schools. Uh, Domini, we only have a minute left, so I'm going to ask you to come back because this is a topic that we need to explore. We need to have our parents understand that this is absolutely nothing that can be taught in school. You are the parent. You are the one who is uh, assisting and helping your child, and you are the one that should be talking to them about sex and the loving relationship. And again, I will caution parents, stop being a friend to your child and be a parent to your child. So, Dominique, do you have any advice for the parents before we say adieu? Yes, really encourage parents to go into your school, go into the library and check out if some of these books are in there, especially the book, It's Perfectly Normal. Um, these are so important that we draw attention and, and tell other parents what's going on. See if you can find that book, which I'm sure you can, and then alert other parents to what's going on. Have those conversations with your child. You, we need parents 
to combat this kind of, um, you know, Abuse. these kind of sexually explicit materials. Thank you very much, Dominique. And Dominique uh, works for us on the Florida Citizens Alliance. And by the way, you can go to the Florida Citizens Alliance and you can put in the search bar objectionable material and you will find the list of books that we reviewed and found in many of the media centers in our schools in Florida. And use that list and see if they are in your schools around the country. We know they are, and they should not be part of an education for anyone that is in A through 8. Uh, yes, they are books that can be read by older children. That's not the point. The point is A through 8 has no business learning about how to have sex. They should be learning how to read and write. 47% of our kids graduate high school. They cannot read, write, or do simple math, but boy, will they learn how to have sex. What a sad commentary. No wonder why we can't find kids that are able to work when they are spending our precious time with their teacher learning this garbage. Well, thank you all uh, for joining me this week. This has been quite a week, and I will see you all again back next week. You have been listening to Karen Schoen, and this is the prism of America's education. But I